Hello, and welcome back to Brown Coats Black Magic. Today, we have a very special episode for y'all. We have a guest in the studio, living House, room. Houses, things, places. Places <laughs> with the things. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me. Um, uh, my name's Roger Zhao. I guess I was uh, invited here because I'm in the video game industry, but apparently because I'm also a person of color. Talk about it, Roger. You know what? The only reason you're really here is because you're super cool. Let me be honest with you. Oh, thank you. We, that's, uh, we that's know really people flattering. who tick those boxes. Now, I met you, actually, initially at a party for our mutual friend, Eric Ulvog, who, you know, I had only met maybe through another friend maybe four months before. So. Oh, how funny. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So we're kind of like crashing that party, weirdly enough, because yeah. Yeah. I wasn't oh. so tight with them that I'd be like, you know, oh, hey, you know, like I would call Eric uh, a very dear friend, but also a very recent friend of mine. So that's so funny. So yeah, I only just met Eric and then um, he was leaving to go to Seattle and then I started talking to you, and I was like, oh, as you said, you know, you're, but you're Chinese, right? Chinese extraction? Yeah, 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 Chinese, Taiwanese. Um, just depending on the context, I'll claim either one, kind of like a chameleon. It's a, it's a very confusing racial identity. <laughs> a lot yeah, of politics cool. involved with it. it. It's complicated. Awesome. <laughs> and so I was, you started talking, like you said, you worked for a video game company, and I was like, yo, this is what it's all about. So as you said, yeah, you're totally perfect for the show. And we became friends online, and I saw all the stuff that you write. It's very, like, socially conscious as well, and you definitely got an awesome sense of humor. And I was like, this dude got to be on the show. Seriously. Orlando, I remember, came back from that party and was like, you would never believe who I met today. That was really awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, very uh, flattered and uh, just honored to be here. Let's well, get cool. to it. Let's uh, let's challenge the establishment and talk about nerdy things. Yeah. Right on. Tell us a little bit about your geeky past. I mean, you said you worked in the video game industry. Yeah, I've been uh, yeah. doing it for about 10 years now, um, really kind of on the uh, marketing and community management side. Start off like uh, the first job I got in LA. I, I went to UC Irvine. Couldn't get out of there quick enough. Orange County just scared me in many ways, bored me and scared me in equal ways. My first job in LA was at a company called Streetwise, and they were a kind of like online marketing company, and uh, they did a lot of event marketing too. But one of their big clients was Activision, and they needed somebody kind of bright-eyed and ambitious, and they needed them to head up the new marketing, uh, the video game division that they had. And um, ironically, when I was in college. The thing that I was actually motivated by the most was uh, music. I actually wanted to be a music journalist. You know, they had an existing uh, music marketing division within that agency. Uh, the video game stuff, they were really trying to build from the ground up, and they just felt like I was a good fit in that realm. Granted, I've been a video game player my entire life, so not anything too out of my comfort zone, in fact. Okay, so yeah. here's the real question. Sure. It's the test of the episode. What <laughs> video games do you play? Um, my career has kind of transitioned more into the mobile gaming world. And I also find that uh, my lifestyle now, like I can only play video games, you know, five, ten minutes at a time, unfortunately. But when I was a console gamer, uh, definitely huge into the Call of Duty series. Big uh, fighting game fan, too, like uh, Virtua Fighter. Love that series. Love that series. Street Fighter 2, um, you know, I think much like any uh, teenage boy back in the 90s, you know, I felt like my yep. Street Fighter game was untouchable. Mortal mm -hmm. Kombat, really great. And then you actually meet people who play it competitively, and you're like, oh, okay, I take it back. I actually kind of suck. Um, but much. yeah, I, I felt like I could hold my own probably in Virtua Fighter more than any cool. other game out there. And then well, let's take a step back. I'm curious, Roger. Um, so where are you from originally? Like, let's go, you know. So you were conceived what night? Just kidding. But the point <laughs> is, is that where are you from? Born in Indiana. Lived in Indiana for eight years. But then uh, moved to Northern California in 1989. I guess I had a pretty good, uh, you know, coming of age out there. And then uh, 
ended up getting accepted to uh, University of California at Irvine. You know, it took me uh, only uh, four years and two quarters to graduate. So, yeah, hey. that, that was definitely, you know, my parents' pride right there. <laughs> They're like, awesome. well, what are you doing? Why are we still paying for this two I know, quarters right, longer? Look, and I'm, like, I, I'm going to be totally out of my depth here and be racist, but that's wrong for an Asian American to be uh, in school that long. Oh, oh totally wrong. Um, so much shame. So much shame. Uh, you know, I, I think my entire uh, life is really like my parents trying to, you know, guide me along and, and for chinese american parents they were actually really really tolerant and really liberal they made me do all the tropes you know like uh play piano play violin uh not particularly good at either one of those pretty decent at math Fuja, i'm waiting anytime say, baby anytime say, this is all like <laughs> i i'm hearing exactly my life right now because my parents have always been they've always been really accepting of my interests in both the arts and not actually traveling down the scientist lawyer uh you know doctor path chemist always yeah, yeah no, not the engineer yeah. but when i was in school it was a different matter because if i didn't bring home the straight a's and i didn't take all the ap classes and i didn't do all the things i mean i was i was in the math club <laughs> i was president of the drama club but i was in math club oh yeah yeah because you had to be, <laughs> like you had to be yeah. living the dream, basically. I mean, like we much. all were pretty much. <laughs> and there were like you know certain expectations. Okay, well, it's fine if you want to go into you know theater, film, whatever, but you're going to grad school. <laughs> this ain't a question. Oh, great! So you're gonna go to grad school and get a degree in what, Pooja? I got my master's of the fine arts in theater. Ugh. All <laughs> right, box um, checked. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Do you have any siblings in your family? I do, I do. Luckily okay. enough, I had an older sister who checked all the boxes. Oh, you know what? I think our lives actually parallel really well because I've got an older sister as well, Florence. Love her to death. But again, checked all the boxes, like valedictorian, you know, first chair in the symphony, like did everything, mm -hmm. got married, has two kids. Yep. Figured my sister, her whole life out. My sister's a lawyer. She works Mine for... Mine is too. Mine <laughs> is too. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, it, it takes so much pressure off. Well, let's get a little bit back on track, I oh, suppose. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, who do you work for now? Uh, the company is called Nexonm. We uh, actually just launched a, a very successful uh, mobile game called Dominations. Um, really uh, fantastic, actually. The game is uh, created by Brian Reynolds and Tim Train, two gentlemen who have been uh, making video games since the 80s. If you know the name Sid Meier, like well, the uh, civilization. We, we and... know Sid Meier in this house. Oh, okay, fantastic. And Orlando is huge into the civilization. He passed that addiction on to me. Oh, fantastic. Yep. Okay, so um, well aware of his legacy, uh, groundbreaking uh, game designer. Um, so Brian Reynolds and Tim Train actually worked with Sid Meier. They're almost like his protégés. Uh, they both worked on uh, Civilization Two. Yep. And from there, worked on many, many other titles. I think Rise of Empires, I think, uh, Farmville. And I apologize for blanking on that right now. But um, Rise of Nations, probably. Yeah, and um, really uh, had a great opportunity to go out there and help create a lot of like uh, promotional videos for them. Part of the reason was that, uh, you know, as we're bringing this game to market, uh, you know, it's, it's a very uh, saturated field. I mean, obviously, if you turn on the television, you'll see Clash of Clans, you'll see Game of Wars. They have, you know multi-million dollar advertising campaigns they have kate upton uh, you know it, it's fantastic uh we were definitely more on the up and coming side of things you know we didn't have quite the budget that they did but we did have a, a firm belief in the pedigree of these game designers that we're working with and uh it, the development studio is called big huge games and uh, one of the cooler things that i got to work on earlier this year um i flew out to baltimore 
with a film crew and actually helped document the making of the game and you know really got to kind of like hear their story about you know everything they did from you know the early games they worked on to kind of like the baltimore gaming scene which is like very different and very independent of anything going on on the west coast i have to say this is the first i've heard of there being a baltimore gaming scene (laughs) and I, i suppose like every major city has it but it never occurred to me that there'd be like a real gaming scene outside of, you know, L.A., San Francisco, Seattle. It's called Silicon Alley in New York. And then Bethesda is based in Bethesda, Maryland. And uh, they wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for Sid Meier kind of like, uh, you know, trailblazing the way. I think between Sid Meier, Brian Reynolds, Tim Train, you know, they were kind of like the godfathers of this uh, Maryland gaming scene. And I think together they kind of like formed multiple companies. I think maybe like three or four different development studios probably have mm-hmm. worked with, uh, you know, 300 to 400 different designers, developers. And um, the one takeaway that I got after chatting with them is that um, because they're kind of like in the middle of nowhere, so to speak, as far as like the tech world is concerned, mm-hmm. it's very kind of like close knit, very family oriented. And, um, you know, a lot of them, when they move on to, you know, a a different opportunity, a different, you know, gaming studio, a different publisher, they tend to kind of poach each other and work together. And Mm -hmm. um, they even have kind of like their own philosophy of like uh, working on game design together, Uh, you know, and it's all uh, Sid Meier's like vision and very, very fascinating stuff. Uh, You know, if you want to learn more about it, uh, probably the best way I'd recommend if you go on youtube.com slash dominations, um, you can actually see like the entire seven promotional videos that we put together and one of them was actually so why maryland and it was literally conversations with them and their creative director and them kind of breaking down like you know why they're out there and to be honest they made a a very compelling case because uh, as they uh, took me around uh baltimore and i kind of looked around at you know the different uh, places and you know a lovely lovely harbor that they have down there i was like oh so how much would it cost to say buy this condo right there and they're like oh that condo would probably be you know four hundred thousand dollars and i'm like get out of here (laughs) A two-story condo on the harbor for $400,000. Like, it, it was a very, very compelling argument for me. To yeah, but the thugs might burn the city down, right? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, this all happened uh, pre-right. So, you know, you take the good and the bad. Um, <laughs> definitely... Upshot, cheap property, downshot, you know, eminent burning to death. Yeah, and, and before, you know, martial before law. Before I get clocked you know, by yeah. everybody clowning me for saying the thugs might burn the city down, <laughs> yes, that is some irony, kid, so you can relax. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the downside of that, too, is that, you know, um, when I was out there, I was like, okay, so I kind of want to go explore the city. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge uh, nerd of The Wire, huge, huge, super nerd fan of The Wire. And I was like, okay, so, you know, if you go on The Wire, you can actually, like, look up, like, a tour, basically, where you can go around and, like, check out oh every, God. like, location shot. You did, the did. Fu- you did the fucking sightseeing tour for the fucking Wire, well, Roger. Well, the, the, the thing was, is, like, <laughs> I wanted to run it by them first because I was like, okay, well, I want to check out this and this and that. And they're like, okay, you don't want to go here at no, all. No, you don't. So rule out East Baltimore. And you don't want to go here at all either. Rule out West Baltimore. You kind of want to stick around the central area. And better yet, why don't we go with you so we can take you around town? Wow. Like, oh, okay, cool. So. And this gentleman with the gun is the bodyguard. <laughs> He'll be coming too. Right. No. But um, all kidding wow. aside, though, uh, beautiful city. Beautiful city. I was actually kind of heartbroken, you know, like when everything was going down and seeing uh, the riots and seeing, um, you know, the burning and all that. But 
also seen all, all the um, peaceful protesting, too. There's a lot of, like, positive that was going on there, too. Like, you know, yeah. the gang truce that they had. Very complex, very complicated. Heartbreaking. Completely, totally heartbreaking. But yeah. that being said, though, like, even though I was only there for, you know, my, like, four days total, Baltimore is a beautiful city. And uh, anybody who is thinking about designing games, I would, you know, maybe think about, you know, going out to Baltimore. Roger, you mentioned music. Um, and I, I saw that you had a SoundCloud, and we're also on SoundCloud. And uh, you uh, you got some, like, DJ awesome mixes there, and they're pretty good. I listened to a couple. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I can't take credit there. I'm more of a curator. But the funny thing for me is, like, uh, when I was at UC Irvine, technically I was there to study uh, sociology and economics. But, you know, this is, like, right around the time that Napster blew up. So, like, 1999, I was a freshman. And that really opened the world up to me. And even though I ended up departing from, you know, music marketing and, you know, really going hardcore into video games, it, it's so funny because, like, if you really look at what you're exposed to as a kid, I didn't have the luck of, you know, having really hip parents who, like, were into Motown and Pink Floyd or anything like that. Like, you know, my mom and dad really loved classical music. And then oh, well, it, that has to be, like, one up on my parents. Like, the only, the only music that we had in the house were a bunch of records of like indian music oh and like, olivia really rich and olivia newton john oh okay and oh my again, god that's some hot shit right there i am not even joking like by the time i got to an age where i knew like what music was my parents had stopped listening to music entirely so i grew up oh. on conservative talk radio Wow, well, I, what, I had you know, no idea. Indian music, though, I, I think um, Indian music, I think, was very forward-thinking in a way where, like, um, there was a lot of electronica, like, in the mid-'90s that was able to kind of, like, bridge the gap. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Talvin Singh. Talvin Singh was, like, a drum and bass producer. Spent some time in the U.K., went back to India, and then actually made really amazing, compelling drum and bass music that was all samples and Indian uh, instruments and fantastic. And, uh, you know, um, the island of Goa kind of, they came uh, out with their own, yeah. like, psych trance. Um, Goa has its own style of EDM, and yeah. that is the only like outside of whatever Bollywood music people are playing at parties. Mm -hmm. That's been my only exposure to Indian music since childhood. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. I really don't know anything about the Indian music scene yeah, at I, all. Wow. I'll tell you what. After the podcast, we'll have to definitely swap some music because I've got uh, quite a, a deep collection of like amazing Indian music that like different people have kind of like used and sampled and reappropriated, but in the best way possible. You yeah. heard it here, folks. Roger's going to teach me about my heritage. <laughs> That's what I've been doing. Like, you know, the joke is that I'm a better Indian than you are. <laughs> Who's the one who makes the biryani in this relationship? You. Exactly. <laughs> right I'm on. learning though. I'm learning. You know what? I'm an Indian where it counts. The food. Hey, that is that is where it counts. I ain't gonna lie. You can see where the values were placed in my household. <laughs> you know, I found it really interesting when I was thinking about having Roger on the podcast and looking a little bit into uh Next on M. And you said it yourself when you talked about what video games you play is like, oh, I only have enough time to play like five or 10 minutes at a time. And I feel like especially now, at least in Los Angeles, where public transportation isn't really the way a lot of people get around, you're not taking the bus, you're not taking the train to get where you're going, you're in a car. Mm -hmm. So at max, like your downtime in each of the places when you're out and about is about 10 minutes. Yeah. So I feel like mobile gaming has become, like especially like phone-based mobile gaming, has become a lot more accepted. Absolutely. And not only that, I mean, I, and not just 
LA in particular, but I think every city, any any demographic. You know, growing up, your typical like video game player, you would think, oh, you know, a teenage boy who you know doesn't really go out and get a whole lot of sunshine and is just there playing games. You know, as a community manager, I get to really know like the entire player base of any of the titles that we're publishing. And there's a huge demographic shift right now where like, uh, for example, um, about a year ago, I was at a company called Scopely, another mobile gaming company based here in LA. And uh, they had a really big hit game called Dice with Buddies, which is basically uh, kind of a Yahtzee inspired game. And the funny thing about it, like our most like fervent, loyal players were, you know, probably a 40 year old, 45 year old woman. Really interesting because like uh, as a community manager, you know, you really have to kind of like shape the voice of you know, the brand, you know, you're on social media, you're talking to people via customer support, you're um, really like driving all of this marketing communication. And I had to do a very hard pivot. Like when I went from uh, console gaming, where, you know, as marketing games like Call of Duty and, you know, Elite Speak and, you know, all these guys who are like hardcore, like, you know, nerdy gamers, and then going to mobile gaming where, you know, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, a grandmother in the Midwest, who is the hardest core gamer of all hardcore gamers. And like, you know, <laughs> I fought like the Candy Crush, phone gaming kind of demographic for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was hardcore, PC Master Race and all that. But once I really got into it, like, and you start talking to people, like, especially over a game like Candy Crush, where people are just fanatical about this game. Yeah. They're like, must three star level 439. <laughs> And it's like you're like there's like its own hierarchy in how you play and like what you're doing. And it's fully intentional. I mean, there's so many psychological cues to kind of get you hooked on this like, you know, core gameplay loop and all these like built in kind of like status symbols and ways to brag about that status symbol. And, you know, the whole social element of it, too. I mean, you start getting these rivalries and like if you're, you know, number one opponent got to level 30 then you're like okay i have to play this until i'm level 31 so i can hit that brag button and tell everybody on twitter that you know like (laughs) it's actually kind of incredible and kind of scary uh i'm sure you're a south park fan uh you guys probably have seen that episode where they're kind of like mocking the whole mobile gaming uh universe they kind of hit that on the head uh, if you haven't seen the episode, you kind of have I haven't to. Seen, I haven't seen that particular episode. I'll have to look it up. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny you talk about mobile gaming, and I don't really play games on my phone. I'm not really on my phone too much beyond, like, chatting or texting, you know? Mm-hmm. And even then, I'm just like, don't talk to me. So, <laughs> so um, Pooja will attest. Like, I'm just like, oh, phones, you know, they're fun. But Orlando's favorite pastime with his phone is to let it die. Basically, where's my phone? Why don't you call it? Well, it's dead. The funny thing is there's this game. This is going to turn to Anecdoteville, but um, it's very recent. Uh, There's this game called Dead Man's Cross. And Pooja, you know the game I'm talking about. It's it's on the PlayStation Vita because I don't play games on my phone. But this is a mobile game originally. It's on Android and iOS. And then it made the transition, ironically or unironically, to dedicated mobile gaming device, the PlayStation Vita. And it's a Square Enix game. So I downloaded it. It was free. I thought I'd check it out. And any free-to-play game, I'm just like, I can't. I can't do this to myself. I will not do this. But this game, you know, I'm a card whore. And if you've got something I can collect that has rarity, yeah, I want it. I want to play it. So I started playing this game. Won't go too much in the gameplay. I'm pretty much well hooked, and that's what it is. So at one point, I did spend $2.99 to get 300 coins in-game. What? And, uh, 
So yeah, $2.99. Sorry, let me make that clear. And so I did that. And then at one point that I was going to utilize it to get this elite pass, because you can spend 300 coins in order to get this elite pass to kill more zombies. Just mm -hmm. stay with me. As I did so to go on my zombie shoot, the game basically bugged out and the, the clock ticked down um, normally, but the gameplay was actually very, very slow. So whereas you have normal camera movement to click the gun and shoot, um, I couldn't do it because it was like incredibly slow, like 20 times as slow as it was, and but the clock was still ticking normally. And here I am, like I just spent $3 on this game and I'm pissed, right? So I'm like, okay, so I'm email Square Enix. I have to go deep into their webpage because they're so arcane. It's so hard to find. Uh, that might and actually I, be intentional, to be honest. I mean, sometimes oh, you kind of want to hide that contact us button. Yeah. Of course. I feel, yeah. I feel like Square 2 is definitely pretty bad about that oh, kind gotcha. of like... Oh, there's more, kids. There's more. Oh, gosh. Okay, so I outlined my issue. I'm very clear about it. And uh, they auto-respond, sorry, we're out of the office. Ugh. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's cool, whatever. So finally I get an email like a week later. They're like, oh, sorry for the delay. Um, can you please outline further in these boxes and specifications your exact issue and i'm like that's fine i did that originally in the original email clearly you don't want to transpose it but i'm sure this got forwarded on to some of the department i get it whatever so i did so and so finally i get this email like yesterday morning and they're like yeah um so the game we went into your account because i had to give the time the documentation of the event where the game went awry and they're like yeah there was no crash so we're basically not going to refund you your 299 or 300 coins i lit into them okay i was like First of all, there was no crash. It was outlined as such that the game was slow performance. This has been the title of every email that I've sent you. Moreover, this is extremely disappointing. But you know what's more disappointing, Square? Your behavior in this whole process. I just laid into them. I'm like, oh, this we posted to all these forums, XYZ, and now blown up on my podcast. And this is where people are like, mobile gamers aren't hardcore. Mobile gamers like, oh, you're just a filthy casual. But you know what? You mess with these people's games and it's like especially free to play because when people start investing real money into it even though if you think about it it's like okay this is your three dollars your 2.99 versus right. like the 60 dollars that you paid for assassin's creed unity which was you know what? If, basically if unplayable work, on launch but like and if it didn't work they'd hear the same thing Let but me be real. i'm just saying that like the level of like righteous indignation that you yeah. get from mobile gamers is the same as you get yeah. from console and PC. Oh, gamers. absolutely. The level of investment in this yes. content is Correct. just as high. So, like, if not more so. If not more so, because these are people who, like, especially when you talk about, like, your grandmas or your yeah. moms or, like, you know, your cousin's auntie, they are just now, like, getting into this mobile gaming scene. Mm -hmm. And, like, these are a lot of people who, like, their first experience on games was whatever Facebook. Invite that they got, you know. Seventies. <laughs> well, like that's the thing is, like they never played Pac-Man yeah. in the seventies. They didn't play Tetris. They were not Super Mario Brothers. They were like, ooh, Bejeweled, or ooh, Zuma. Back when browser games were a thing. Totally. Whereas I feel like we who have kind of more PC or console gaming backgrounds, we've had the opportunity to build up kind of like a kind of emotional coping mechanisms for when our stuff doesn't work. Sure. All these other people, they don't know. It's like when your washing machine breaks down and you just start calling people. Like when your internet stops working and you start calling customer service. I think you actually bring up a really, really good point because I think um, anybody who's been in any sort of online multiplayer gaming 
you will see a crazy bug. You will experience like a server crash. You'll probably see an account issue. It's technology. And uh, I think kind of people take for granted just how complex these systems are. And Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you for one thing, uh, mobile gaming in particular is so hard to properly QA. I mean, absolutely. I, I think any game that you put out there, if it tends to be on iOS, like iPhone or iPad, those games tend to be pretty solid and reliable. Android is like a hornet's nest. And I don't want to talk crap about Android. I mean, you know, I, I like that platform as well. But the reality is that, you know, you probably have, you know, 15 different manufacturers and each one has maybe 10 different handsets. So, And every single, every manufacturer has their own overlay for Mm -hmm. vanilla android and then whereas ios is supporting maybe three versions at a time you could have 15 Mm -hmm. different android platforms yeah and then android devices i think tend to be kept around for a little bit longer so you tend to have like a lot more like older devices oh absolutely and so trying to figure out like all the vagrancies there and then personally i mean i own a one plus one so i've rooted my phone i've installed a custom rom I expect a lot of things not to work on my phone. But, you know, on the flip side, I have the best battery life out of anyone I know. My camera's awesome. And, like, all these other things Uh, that I actually care about. (laughs) You remind me, there's a flash sale this week from the 1st to the 7th on the OnePlus, and I'm buying it. Um, Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to make the transition back into Android, as you mentioned it. So I kind of miss it. And the OnePlus is actually a really great device. That's basically what it boils down to is that um, it's really cool. And it's a sale. I have one piece of advice for you, Orlando. What's that? First thing you do when you get the phone is root it. Don't wait to root your phone. Just do it. Okay. Because it's a big pain later when you got all your stuff in it, and then you have to try to figure out how to back it up when it's not rooted. Just root the phone. Just do it. Okay. But the other thing is that the OnePlus 2 is supposed to come out, right? Yeah, Um, at some point. Uh, There haven't been any concrete details that I've seen. But truthfully, I mean, I got my OnePlus a year ago or something, not even. But I love it. I love it so much. The customization is just, if you're willing to get in there and tinker with your stuff, it's Mm -hmm. unparalleled. Just coming from the mobile gaming industry, like anybody who talks about like rooting their phone or any of that, hacking it, we kind of just have a negative connotation about that because, I mean, a lot of them are trying to do it to get free IAP for different games and it's wait, just I'm like, sorry what's IAP oh the in uh in at purchase like whatever arbitrary coin or token or gem oh is that's this like, like when you currency. set your phone time ahead so you don't have to wait on Candy Crush yeah that sort of thing yeah so like you're talking about this whole like Pandora's box of evil like <laughs> you know like oh you guys holy water yeah. holy water yeah, well, totally. in regard to Square Enix and their game Dead Man's Cross I highly recommend that you do that <laughs> the hate feel all the hate from the northwest the vitriol <laughs> coming from Orlando I just love this tangent that we're on because it's kind of a uh, a lesson to be learned I mean if you're in community management or customer support you really have to treat every single angry customer with the assumption that they have a podcast and they will take you to town <laughs> Don't worry, I can't wait to go into Square Enix because I've been playing these games since I was, like, the smallest, okay? Sure. It's really funny. Like, we talk about Square Enix. We we talk about our love of, like, Japanese RPGs and all of that. Final Fantasy has come to mobile gaming. Yeah, it has. And the most expensive mobile game you will ever buy. It's, like, $15, $20 to yeah, get a game Dragon on your Quest, phone. Yeah, Quest, I think, is, like, twenty four ninety nine. Yeah, like, <laughs> what is up with that? Like, I could buy this game on Steam right now for, like, $12. Well, you know, they figure, look, this, they can finally put all this stuff on these devices because they're so strong now. And they figure, you know, people are graduating. Grandma's graduating to Dragon Quest. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, like, it's really cool because we're training 
a new audience, a, an audience that may not have been exposed to gaming, as you said, to understand more gaming conventions and principles through mobile. And that's actually ultimately a very cool thing. Right. Um, well, the funny thing about it is that some of the gaming conventions, though, on mobile are so specific to mobile that, like, I don't know if we're doing gamers as a whole, gaming culture. I mean, and I'm going to be a little uh, self-critical here, but I mean... The whole like freemium model and kind of like, oh, now you have to pay to unlock more content and hey, we're going to rush out this like update and, you know, we hope that the, you know, gaming community loves it. But if it's buggy, we'll figure out, we'll iterate the next time. Like, you know, somebody who has come from uh, both console gaming and mobile gaming, like I I love mobile gaming. It, it pays the bills and all that, but um have a very soft spot for, you know, like the 90s and the 8-bit era and the 16-bit era. And I kind of, I have a nostalgia for a game that was good out of the box and that you could play yeah. with somebody beside you and it was properly QA'd and it was great. Yeah. And um, I have that yeah. nostalgia and I don't really play mobile games because if you look at like the PC and console releases over yep. the last year, we've talked about it on the yep. podcast. I mentioned it before, Assassin's Creed, Unity, Evolve, other games like that, even Bloodborne and Destiny coming out of the box, major, major issues. Yeah. They're rushing these releases. And then Assassin's Creed Unity had all these like in-game purchases. Yep. You could spend $100 in-game on in-game like currency well listen, listen let's go back to world of warcraft okay so oh, wow you know taking it back yeah. <laughs> so mobile game is really taking cues from games that have been around and doing the similar thing for before truthfully sure. you know like i think what it does it's blowing it up on a larger scale obviously because everybody's got a phone in their pocket but you know yeah this freemium model is not new especially to pc gaming you know it really is a bit of an eye roll in lots well, of like, ways so world of warcraft was not like a freemium kind of situation like if you talk about um playing wow you pay a monthly fee to play the game and then every other expansion was a paid expansion so you pay like an extra 25 dollars or whatever for a lot of new content and then in between those they'd have free expansions to the game but you were paying a, you're paying a monthly $15 or whatever you're paying. I don't remember what the actual cost is. I've been WoW sober for a long time. But at the time I was playing it, there was no spending of cash on in-game items that was sanctioned by Blizzard. And it was against the TOS, the Terms of Service, yeah. to like go on eBay and buy characters, or buy equipment and stuff like that. I mean, it did happen, but it wasn't sanctioned by Blizzard. Now mm -hmm. there is a tie for, of real-world money to in-game money, mm -hmm. and you can actually pay for your subscription with in-game money or spend That's real cool. money to get in-game money. And I feel like this is a place, this is another place where traditional gaming, and in this case, massive multiplayer online games, are taking cues from the mobile world. Right. Right. And not necessarily the best ones. <laughs> yeah, I would probably agree. I mean, everybody kind of realized, like, unless you monetize everything, you're leaving money on the table. And I get it. I mean, it, it is what it is. But um, I don't know. I mean, being old school gamers, it's uh, it's it's a very slippery slope. I guess the grass is always greener on the other side. And, you know, nostalgia is like kind of uh, misleading in its own way. Yeah, I, I kind of harken back to those days. But another thing, too, is I'm actually kind of afraid of my own addictions, um, to be honest. I mean... When I play a game that's got a lot of depth and a lot of like crazy in-game items and rarities and like rare item drops and things like that, I tend to try to get everything. I try to get that 100% completion rate oh, and yes, it's a giant time suck. So when, you know, when you layer on top of that all this monetization, like I might be the type of person who drops $1,000 on a game. 
and then people kind of wonder like do you have an addiction <laughs> and then a community manager will reach out to you and be like hey do you want to join this vip program and you know get this free jacket or you know it's you know whatever it's like, but, it's like the casino programs at that point oh totally it's, absolutely it really is. it's You're, like yeah in the end they're making so much money off of you and the value that you get back for it i mean outside of the time spent enjoying it it is something that i feel like Mobile gaming kind of can key into those qualities in the same way a casino can. It, absolutely right. In fact, we actually look at, you know, casino concierge services and VIP services and all that rewards, loyalty and rewards programs like the entire mobile gaming industry is moving in that direction. And we're looking always at the casinos because that's essentially what it is. That's scary. Kind of is. Yep. Yeah, not going to lie. But yeah, I mean, uh, again, going back to like that 100% like completion, you know, so many games I've like just sunk in so much time. I think Castlevania um, Symphony of the Night, probably like I played that, I think, to 99% completion. It was like that amazing. That is a great game. It's fantastic. Um, I hear there's like a Kickstarter right now. Um, that same game designer, his name escapes me, but uh, he actually wants to go independent and he wants to put out another game that's actually very similar to that. And there's so much love for Symphony of the night to this day that like uh, i think he was asking for like maybe a million dollars and i think they hit like 10 million like overnight this seems to be a trend in kickstarter games that like if you have that kind of pedigree and you can tap into that nostalgia factor that you're going to you know get 10 times 20 times 30 times your original ask i mean if you look at a game like pillars of eternity outside of the gaming world if you look at reading rainbow so asked true. for like a million raised 35 when is that coming back? That happened a couple of years ago, right? Are they? It's back. Reading Rainbow is back. They're it's on TV out right content. now. It's not. I don't think it's on TV. Um, okay. They have not gotten a network deal for their their content, but they have. You know, their web based app. They're going to schools. They're recording new episodes for their iPad app and all that kind of thing. The idea is that Reading Rainbow is everywhere. Mm-hmm. It, that people are on their computers. They're on their iPads. They're on their Android tablets. They're in the library. Like that's more where they're reaching people now instead of being on gotcha. network. How do you feel about that, by the way? Because I think, by definition, like a Reading Rainbow app is almost kind of counter to the mission that they originally had, which is like, hey, you know, like watch this TV show and then go out and grab a book. But now if you have well, like Well, I mean, app, if you think like... about a couple of years ago now, I finally made the switch over to an e-reader. I am the kind of like sheepish owner of a Kindle. It's one of those things that like people are getting their books online. I can go onto the Los Angeles Public Library website and check out books. And I have a lot because I like to find new books to read at four o'clock in the morning and no one is open. So it's that kind of thing. Like Amazon has like a a library service for like 10 bucks a month. You can get on, they call it Kindle Unlimited. That's what it is. And that file stays on your device or does it disappear after? Um, That's like a library service. So you can check out books from Amazon and then, you know, read them on your Kindle or on your iPad pad or on your tablet or on your computer and then you check them back in you, you are completely <laughs> blown my mind right now i was actually not aware that these services existed i didn't know that libraries gave e-files e-reader files that's when's the last time you've been in a library roger Ooh, putting me on blast um boom <laughs> uh, maybe probably about 12 years ago there you go yeah. wow that's the college answer. college that's Definitely. so sad. Right. But yeah, it's one of those things that like, you know, local libraries all around the country have this that you can like go in and and if you're like me and you read mostly genre fiction, the section in the library is like at this point like two shelves. It's getting smaller and smaller. But if you go online, they have thousands of books. Oh, I gotcha. And it's a lot of new releases and stuff like that. And like you can check out audiobooks, as we talked about in our last episode. When it comes to like an ebook or an audiobook, how how good is the voice acting? Like do they go out and find really quality yeah. people? 
A lot of times it's amazing. You know, one of our first guests, Mm -hmm. Sunil Mahotra, who is a voice actor by trade. Okay. He was Prince Wu on Legend of Korra. He's done some uh, voice acting for video games. And he got his start doing voiceover for audiobooks. And, you know, Tim Curry Oh, Tim Curry, the Tim Curry. The Tim Curry. There's been a trend to get like larger and larger acting names Mm -hmm. to get to do audiobooks. Neil Gaiman has read a couple of his. Oh, fantastic. Who's your uh, dream voice actor for any given book? Let's say it was a a, a, a suspense or sci-fi book. Who who would be your go-to? Like if you could just hand pick them. I know mine. David Warner. Ooh, yeah. See, yeah. and I, I go back to the classic, especially if you talk about suspense. Like, I want Vincent Price to be reading Price, my book yeah. today. I want Vincent <laughs> it's Price too to be It's too intense. It's like it, it would just eating, be like, best. five chocolate truffles. <laughs> I do that, though. I, I think for go. me, uh, probably Brian Cranston. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one, too. He's got a great voice. Definitely. Either that Why or, do we always uh, go with men? Like, who would be our lady voiceover? Oh, like, who would be our lady read? female speaker. Mm. Mm. Dame Judy Dench. That's, that's pretty good. I, I don't know. I'm going to have to to marinate on it a little bit longer. I'm not sure who, as a lady, I'd like. I have a few books by women that I've listened to, you know, and I don't know. I think it's, yeah, you got to find that right, that right storytelling. Like I think of like women that I know. I'm like, I want my mom to read me a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, being a big uh, Game of Thrones fan, huge, huge fan of uh, Lena Headey, I think. Oh. Lena Headey. Yeah, Cersei. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing actress. That would be awesome. Like, even coming, thinking really, really outside the box here, Janelle Monet, I think, would be amazing. Mm. Oh, she would be a lot of fun. And that it would just be like, like, to hear her read something like a more upbeat though it could be yeah like of course suspense. that's her jam right that's what she does but that's uh, so cool yeah something like that erica badu speaking poetry oh ooh, Ooh, erica, erica would oh, be yeah. hilarious yeah. oh my god yeah i was just watching some video of her the other day and i was just like you are such an awesome storyteller like all her songs are just like i'm gonna talk to you right now listen up and i'm just like you're so good how do you do this yeah it's those voices really like carry you to different places like... well you guys mentioned um kickstarter before and that actually reminded me of the week in geek if Ooh. we dare tread into those waters i think we can in exile entertainment is doing a new kickstarter for their old property the bard's tale this is the bard's oh, tale yeah, for classic oh i saw that yeah. in the pillars of eternity update yeah. email yes so uh, kind of like the, really the golden cool. age of PCs. I mean, uh, exactly. King's Quest and oh yeah, oh, wow. Yeah, Bard's Tale is like old school. We got three colors: magenta, <laughs> cyan, and yellow. This is what we got. So, but now you know, um, and it got updated. I think to like maybe ten years ago, twelve years ago on the PC for the PS2, whatever, as an action RPG. And uh, Tony J, legendary Tony J, voice actor, amazing, amazing. I don't know if you guys remember a cartoon called Reboot. Anybody? No? I think I do, yeah. But uh, that said, they're rebooting uh, this game, and uh, it's going to be an awesome RPG for the PC. And I'm super, super jazzed about it. And you mentioned I had actually caught wind of that um, Kickstarter that you mentioned before based off Symphony of Night. So, yeah, there's a lot of really cool Kickstarters bouncing around right now. It's pretty awesome again. Yeah. I'm going to add another one into that list. I mean, Orlando and I can't do a podcast without talking about Pillars of Eternity. (laughs) It's true. And there is... A Pillars of Eternity card game that they're kickstarting. 
to go along with the video game, but it's a completely different, like it's physical cards. Like you get together with a few friends and you build your empire, tear down somebody else's empire, but all card game based. And it's meant to be like something that you could get together with your friends and play in a night. Oh, fantastic. So, and we're you... talking a real card game, like Magic the Gathering, like physical cardboard cards. Yes, oh, physical oh, cardboard cards. Hopefully, I mean, and this, I guess, gets back to the mobile gaming, is there's been more kind of transference of physical card games onto, like, mobile and computer platforms. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of like that to be the case for this Pillars of Eternity card game. I'll have to check out the Kickstarter and see if maybe they added it as a stretch goal, because that would be fun, too. So I think that sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm a big proponent of being able to physically own some of the art that I've appreciated so much on the video game. Yeah. Do you think you're going to buy it? Do you think you're going to contribute to the Kickstarter? I'm on the fence right now, but I was on the fence on Pillars of Eternity originally, like for a while. So I like to like scope it out and see what they're doing and see what their stretch goals are and then Mm -hmm. commit at the very last second. (laughs) Yeah, I, I committed to the Bard's Tale. I was like, you know what? I want this game. Um, I need this. So I'm actually even thinking about upping my pledge. (laughs) I'm like, because there's some other rewards, you know, and I was just like, I think I want that. Uh, I don't know. So we'll see how it goes. What else have you guys uh, contributed to in the past? Well, Um, I contributed to The Sweet Blood of Jesus, the Spike Lee movie. Okay. It came out earlier this year. And Reading Rainbow, of course. Fantastic. And Pillars of Eternity. And Pillars of Eternity, of course. Yeah, as did I. Um, I did Shadowrun uh, Returns. Oh, thank um, you. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Why do you say <laughs> that? Shadowrun fan. No, I'm the biggest nerds. What have I contributed to? Oh, uh, Come Fury. I contributed to oh, that. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And that that's turned out so good. Right there. Let's talk about it. Oh, that's, that's such awesome. a good 30 minutes of just nonstop insanity ridiculousness every every one-liner is just so great like thank you thank you and he like hits him with the tank oh so good (laughs) i was saying thank you this morning literally in the kitchen and i was like thinking about the word thank you and it just came out as thank you and i was like i am so malleable this is terrible it's so stupid we all are i think oh man and you know what we talked about like supporting and getting what you want and you just have to get those rewards right now as we speak the good old games.com sale is going on and yeah are you in there did you get any stuff i haven't gotten anything this time mainly because okay. like gog and i have like this weird tumultuous relationship i may be a slight game hoarder so like i still own my physical copies of Baldur's gate and Baldur's gate 2 and the expansions and stuff like that but the big thing that it's a preload to, in my mind, really, like the timing on the sale is kind of awesome because their sale ends on June 11th. And the rumor is that the Steam summer sale starts on the 11th. So this is the big thing, y'all. Every game goes on sale on Steam. And it's anywhere from like, oh, like super new games will be 10 to 15 to 20% off. And like older titles will be like, 75 80 and 90 percent off yeah I, I think gog is pricing their things competitively i definitely think they're trying to get in before the steam summer sale so i don't know i mean i'm i've definitely eyeballed a few things too i think i'm just a loyal steam guy i think that kind of boils down to what you're saying too you know like you're just like yeah gog but steam <laughs> that's what i'm hearing for newer you know, titles yeah and the thing is like 
I look to GOG for old school titles more than I do for current titles. And I've bought a lot of those already, like Mm -hmm. in previous sales. But, you know, a friend of mine just picked up Witcher and Witcher 2 for the enhanced editions for Mm -hmm. 450 total. Yeah. Well, that's the same company. CD Projekt actually owns good old games. So that's why you'll see the crazy discounts even more than you might see on Steam. So, Roger, what about you? You said you were enjoying uh, Kung Fury this past week. Were there anything else that was kind of geeky and nerdy and ridiculous in your life that you want to share? Uh, I mean, where do I even start? I feel like my entire life is kind of geeky and nerdy. What else has really jumped out? Honestly, um, big, big uh, week for uh, music. And, you know, it's debatable how geeky music is, but I I feel like Uh, it's pretty geeky. Don't don't start that debate with Orlando. (laughs) Okay. It will take it to, like, new heights of geekiness. Gotcha. I just Mm -hmm. feel like um, it's... It's been an amazing uh, year of music so far, and like the Jamie XX uh, album, I've been playing nonstop. Um, mm-hmm. Enlighten me, because I am not the music geek that the two oh, of you are. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the XX, the band? No. Oh, okay. Just an amazing um, British band, and they are just kind of like really, really subtle, really understated, really um, sexy, and really kind of like nuanced, and very quiet almost, almost like in the way that like a Mazzy star used to be back in the day. Put it in terms of like, did you ever listen to Morphine? No. Never mind. Pooch is like a very specific dialect that died out a long time ago when it talks to me. It comes to music. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to be honest with you. This is true. Like a lot of of the music I listen to, like the lead singers literally died. Yeah. Um, Other stuff I'm excited about. We posted this actually on Facebook, but the rumor is, is that Idris Elba and Lawrence Fishburne are looking to act and direct. I'm not sure who's doing what. And The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. So... I'm like, what? Um, I love what? the two actors to death. Um, you'll have to give me the background. We'll see what is the alchemist. Roger. The Did alchemist. I just lose a geek cred just now? By asking no, that? actually, no, you didn't. Truthfully, it's not geeky cred. It's much more like uh, along the lines of this book that will change your life. So it, it's not especially geeky. It kind of, especially in the early 2000s, reached a crest with a lot of people. And it's one of those books that kind of like this watershed of, I guess, how to live your life. And it was told in the kind of parable fable kind of sense. So there's this kind of mystic kind of um, other way of living and communicating. And it's a beautiful story that has shaped me and I think shaped many others. So it's just a wonderful tale. It's easy to read, but extremely deep. And so uh, to hear that these two names are attached to it is just like, it's great, great news. You guys check out The Alchemist if you've never read it. It's a great, great book. As great as anything that I've talked about on the podcast. It's just one of those things. All right, thank you. So yeah, that's super awesome, awesome news. Will, uh, another uh, awesome take news. I'll that to heart. I will uh, definitely check that out. Yeah, but, um, it's great, dude. I'm really just rooting for Idris Elba to be the, the uh, Black James Bond. I, I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah. It came up in public discourse a couple months ago. I, was that actually a, a possibility? You know, he talked about it. He was like, hey, you know, because everyone talked about it so much, it's dead. (laughs) That's basically what he said. And he's like, you know, that that window is gone now. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm flattered that people think I'd make a good James Bond. He does his kind of humble brag here, you know. And he kind of flirted with folks on Twitter and stuff. And But it doesn't look like at the moment that that's happening or moving forward in any visible way, shape, or form. I think, you know, he would make a fantastic James Bond. I think this actually kind of gets into some territory which we could talk about regarding, I guess, what character is. Like James Bond specifically, like it opens up a whole new realm of opportunities for James. Like he can become a spy in a whole different set of circumstances that you know you wouldn't necessarily see in a caucasian or a white james bond or english white james bond 
So, you know, there's all kinds of new awesome stories that could be told with a black James Bond in this particular case. And I think he's proven more so than almost any actor recently that he can do almost anything. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been actually, as you said, a pretty great week for being a geek. There's just been so much craziness. I saw this thing just like a minute before we started the podcast where some company, I think, in Czechoslovakia has made this pod that you can like basically attach that is solar powered and will totally sustain you heating, cooking, protect you from the wind and the rain, collects rainwater, filters it. So you're completely sustainable out in wherever you want to be in the world. In your little bed pod home. And it's like maybe if I remember the dimensions, like five meters by like three meters. So that's not quite right. It's probably a little bit smaller than that. That Um, seems really large. Like am I I crazy? you hitch it you hitch it back to, to the back of your wagon essentially so oh it, it also will charge your electric car that will tote it around wherever you want to go uh, so I, saw that. I, I really want to buy that it's so funny uh, when, it, when it comes to that kind of like lifestyle like alternative shelter and living off the grid and all that yeah you know i, I think collectively we have so many friends who are just kind of like into the burning man scene and i think so many of right. them are kind of the ones who are like reposting these links and like oh check out this solar insulated tent or check out this like tiny home or check out this and Oh, it's just so amazing. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin. I yeah. have to say, though, like, I get a lot of it. Like, yay, replacing all the panes of glass in your house with, like, solar panels, like, clear solar panels, stuff like that. Like, I'm all behind. But the whole tiny home movement, and I don't know if it's just because I live in a lot of apartments, but the idea of living in, like, a six-by-six six space, no, I don't want to. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Maybe it's the claustrophobia in me speaking, but, like... right. I want a place with some space. Um, I, I feel you on that. Um, I think a lot of people are enamored with it just because of the insane design and efficiency of it. But I mean, ultimately, you kind of want a place where you can host maybe five to ten people over and have yeah. dinner rather yeah. than like being shoulder to shoulder. Like if I have friends and they would like to come over to my home one day, dreams, that, dreams happen. Look, you party, you party <laughs> in the woods. That's what you do. That's your secret. <laughs> That's where the bears are. They'll be extinct soon. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, sadness. And on that note. This podcast is extinct because we're <laughs> killing it right now, kids. Right. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Brown Coats, Black Magic. And thank you so much, Roger. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute honor. And no problem, dude. y'all have any questions or comments for Roger or for Orlando or myself, feel free to check us out on our website browncoatsblackmagic.com or on our facebook page just search for browncoats black magic <laughs> or on our twitter at bcbm show or as always give us a like on itunes or soundcloud or stitcher catch you next time ciao